Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. We're going to continue a series called Navigating Relationships today. Uh, It's going to end next week. We've been studying it for a few weeks now, and we've talked about how in Christ we have a new relationship with God. And if you don't have that relationship with God yet today, uh, you'll have an opportunity to put your faith in him. Uh, Also in Christ, we have a new relationship with others. And we strategically placed this to be right before Thanksgiving because we want to help you out with your family relationships. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we pray you'll go into Thanksgiving with renewed vision uh, for your family members, that you'll have more of the perspective of heaven and how you can love them and see them differently. And we've talked about a new relationship with yourself. How many of you know we need to learn how to better relate with ourself, how we speak to ourselves, how we think about ourselves? Uh, we talked about a new relationship with the Holy Spirit, how to walk with Him. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to finish this series. And I haven't talked too much about this other than when we've been praying, but I feel um, stirred to teach on this. We'll close it with a new relationship with how we relate to the events of our world. You know, and we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about what's happening in the Middle East. We'll talk about um, how God has called us to have newness of mind and be an agent of hope in our world, the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, not just in regards to what's happening in the Middle East, but things that are going on all around the world. And today, we're going to talk about a new relationship with your life and circumstances. The definition of circumstances is the conditions, the events, and the details of your life. So how do we navigate the ever-changing seasons of life? How do we celebrate the highs How do we survive the lows? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but there's some people in here that are right now trying to figure out how to survive a low. There are others trying to figure out how to celebrate a high. And actually, sometimes you have to survive a high. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like there are just challenges in every season. The Reed family who just had a little Eliza, they have their second kid now and they're entering a new beautiful and challenging season of life. And here's the questions I want to encourage you to ask leading into this message. What does faithfulness look like for you in this season of your life? And another way of saying it is, uh, what is God's will for you in this season of your life? My parents were here a couple weeks ago and I interviewed them for the message. And we talked about a new relationship with your spouse or with your kids or in how you date, or even if you're called the singleness and you can check out that message. But my dad said at one point that he's had five or six marriages. And what he was talking about was they've had five or six different seasons of their marriage that feel like in completely different marriages. And he used the phrase, in each one of those seasons, you have to ask the Lord, what are the lessons I need to learn in this season? How am I called to be faithful right now? And usually uh, when we think of God's will and learning how to be faithful, we think of very specific things. But there's actually three verses in scripture that I think are so helpful that directly say they are God's will for us in every season of our life. So whether you're on one of those highs or lows, whether you're in the winter or the summer, the spring or the fall, metaphorically, we're gonna look at something that we know is God's will every single time. And it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I'm gonna dive right into it. In Christ, we have a brand new relationship with our circumstances and therefore, number one, rejoice always because God is with you and God is in control. 
I like how David Guzik says it. I'm going to be quoting him a number of times. If you're ever looking for a, a good commentary to study scripture, like if you get to a part of scripture that just makes no sense to you, which happens to pastors too. Anybody like willing to say, man, sometimes I read something in scripture and I have no idea what it's talking about, right? We're in good company. That happens to all of us. Um, but what I believe is every word of Every word from God in the scripture is from him, divinely inspired for a purpose in our lives. And so a great resource for you that anyone can access, just go to Google and type in Enduring Word Bible Commentary. And it's by this uh, pastor and scholar named David Guzik. I reference him quite a bit because he's one of my favorite uh, theologians. But he says something about this verse, and I'll quote him two or three times in this message. He says, the Christian can rejoice always because their joy isn't based in circumstances, but in God. Circumstances change, but God doesn't. I remember when I was, I think about 22, I was leading my first missions trip and I was in Mexico City and, and we had about 20 or 30 folks on our team, maybe less than that, I can't remember. And we were about to go into an impoverished part of the city and our guide told us, hey, if you get overwhelmed with emotion, uh, while you're looking at these living conditions and you can't hold it back and you start crying, we need you to just leave because it's disres- disrespectful to the people that live here for you to be having kind of an emotional meltdown as you look at their living conditions because their living conditions uh, were unimaginable by our standards. I mean, it was cinder blocks to kind of form fake walls only about this high. You could kind of sit under it a little bit. There was running sewage everywhere. They had clotheslines where they were trying to, you know, dry clothes hanging over running sewage. It was all women and children. I literally didn't see one man. Like every man had abandoned them completely. But here's what was so remarkable about it is to this day, I'm not sure that I've ever encountered more incredible joy than in those particularly moms and in those young children. And there's something counterintuitive, but so very true about this. The greatest joy is often found in those who have the least. Have you noticed that? Anybody listening today? It's true. And maybe you're like me and thinking, man, I gotta stop buying so much stuff. It's making my joy go down. We think the opposite sometimes. We think we're buying our joy. We think we're building for ourselves a life that is impenetrable by like despair. Yet there's something about uh, living open-handed and loosely before the Lord and not having much to our name that forces us to walk in true joy. And likewise, oftentimes the greatest hope is found in those suffering the most. I've spent a lot of times in hospital rooms with people on their deathbed, countless hours, I've spent a lot of times with families who just lost their beloved loved one. And this isn't always the case, but oftentimes when those people are believers, they are overwhelmed with unshakable hope in the presence of God, even in one of the most sorrowful moments of their life. We have a lot to learn from those that have little and are suffering about joy. And the reason I share that in this context is learning to rejoice always is not like us just trying to pep talk ourselves and have a superficial happiness when we're super bummed out. That's not what it's saying. It's saying there is this deep like joy that wells up within us in the Lord regardless of any circumstance. And it is the joy of the Lord and this, my friends, is God's will for you. This is his heart for you. We sometimes think in these changing seasons of life that it's all about the circumstances. Like, I mean, for instance, I mean, well, actually, I'll I'll save that for a moment. But we we tend to think there is some 
circumstance that will restore that joy, that will restore that security. And, and we usually find that that's not the case. And I also like how Charles Spurgeon says, I, I am bound to mention among the curiosities of the churches. He said that because he would travel and speak to all these churches all around London and the surrounding area in the 1800s. I think it was, I don't remember the exact time frame. And he said that I have known many deeply spiritual Christian people who have been afraid to rejoice. Some take such a view of religion that it is to them a sacred duty to be gloomy. Have any of you guys known Christians that think their call is to like be downers about everything? That's not the Jesus way. Now, lamenting is a real thing, and there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, but the Jesus way is actually full of joy. Scripture says there's fullness of joy in his presence. I think sometimes our minds, our adult minds, get in the way of our rejoicing. I think the rejoice always command, I don't really have biblical basis for this other than what I believe is the spirit of the word. I believe a lot of it is also connected to returning to a childlike faith. You notice how kids will rejoice just for nothing? You ever look at your kids and be like, why are you so happy right now? Like, why are you like jumping around the house? Why are you flipping? Why are you, I mean, like, it's just the joy of the Lord in these kids. You kind of have to unlearn joy. I mean, you shouldn't, but we do it as adults and then our minds get in the way. I was reminded in first service of how when I was 17 and new in the Lord, I was just so overwhelmed with the love of God and overwhelmed with this new life and this new vision and this new sight that I would run around my parents' house when I was there by myself in the middle of the day like a madman. I mean, like I would just run and shout victory unto God. I would like, I remember jumping really, really high and crying and just like worshiping. And I've in, as the years have gone by, almost 25 years or so now, since I really started following Jesus, um, I, tr I at times try to reclaim that joy and just get out of my own head and just celebrate the presence of God because what he says is true and he is in control. Anybody with me? Like we have to just let go of all of our reasoning and our logic and, and just rejoice in the Lord as like a declaration. So I would, I would invite you to think about this. How can you rejoice today? How can you rejoice this Thanksgiving? How can you rejoice going into December and going into a new year? And in full candor, I have to remind myself to rejoice. Like, like my wife kind of just rejoices all the time. I mean, she's just super pleasant, happy, joyful. And I'm like, God, why didn't I get that? Like, how does she do that? Could, could I get a little bit more of that dose? And I, I say it just to encourage you, if, if rejoicing always feels like effort to you, that's okay. It's okay for it to take effort. I remember wrestling with God saying, Lord, why is it sometimes so hard to follow you? Why all this effort? And in the words of Pastor Rob Rates, he always says in his younger years, he would pray, God, why can't you just zap me and make me perfect, right? Why, if you're God, right? You guys have prayed these prayers, right? Anybody, if you're God, just fix all this right now. Make me exactly what I'm supposed to be. I don't wanna have to do anything. I'm in though, I sign up. Do whatever you have to do. Make me everything I need to be. Help me see you perfectly clearly every day. If I could see you perfectly, then I will, I know I can follow you. Just, just do it for me, basically. Anybody? And I, I've like really cried out to God about that, especially in my younger years. And I always get this sense back from God that, that the most valuable things in life, like relationships, all take effort. There's wisdom. There's, there's divine wisdom in not just zapping us. We would then be robots. 
There wouldn't be love. There wouldn't be wisdom. There wouldn't be choice. There wouldn't be redemption. There wouldn't be grace. God in perfect wisdom knows that it is good to put in effort to rejoice always. Anybody with me? That's a good thing to learn. So don't be discouraged if you're not just waking up on the clouds. My wife just wakes up on the clouds. She's like, today's awesome. I'm just going to slide down this rainbow, have some cereal. I'm just going to like, I just trust God. I mean, this is just who I am. And I'm waking up and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do my life today. You know, those kind of thoughts. I'm not saying I wake up like that every day, but I lean that way more than she does. And I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I I mean, I want to grow in waking up more and more joyful, but it takes effort. It takes effort. Uh, Reading on, rejoice always. And then verse 17 says, pray continually. Number two in your notes. And I love this principle. It is so hopeful. It says this, pray continually because God will either change your circumstances or change your perspective about your circumstances. Isn't that awesome? It's like a guaranteed answer to your prayer. Sometimes God will absolutely change your circumstances. I think though, more often, God wants to change our perspective about our circumstances. And just by way of a silly example, by the way, Stephen, I know you turned the air down. Does it feel cold in here? Does it, oh, so this is what pastors should never do. But let me just invite this feedback. Let me just take a poll live in the service for you guys that are online. Forgive us for a moment. How many feel perfect temperature-wise right now? Raise your hand. This is your chance to vote. Okay, some of you feel perfect. How many of you feel warm, like it's a little hot still? Okay. How many feel like it's a little cold? Okay, okay. What did you turn it to? That's 70? Right, right, because it was, it was probably inching up to 72, 73, so we bring it back down. So it should, cool, it should stop here in a minute, and we'll be okay. Generally, 70 is the ideal. Thank you for your feedback, and now we're just going to ignore that <laughs> and do whatever we want to do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We actually really do want to make it comfortable. As you can see by the poll, some people right now are hot, some people are cold, so we want to come up with the happy middle all the time. I'm never going to ask that question again in the rest of my pastoral leadership. I'm just kidding. We totally care about it. But by way of a silly example about praying continually, I love this. Um, It's so incredible to have the invitation, actually the command from God to pray without ceasing uh, because it means everything in our life we should bring to him. We should normalize talking to him about everything, pouring out our hearts to him. So just think of whatever you would love to change in your life and talk to him about it. It could be frustration with yourself. It could be a circumstance. It could be a financial need. It could be a relational thing going into Thanksgiving. Talk to him about it. Now, there's no guarantee he's just gonna zap that situation. I mean, maybe he will do a miracle there. We should pray about everything. But he may, in fact, just put you at peace with the situation. For instance, and this is kind of a silly example, but remember that song that came out like maybe 10 years ago, I Wanna Be a Millionaire, So Stinkin' Bad? Anybody remember that? My, my kids used to sing it, and it was just like big on the radio. Probably your big sisters sang it, and it, it was silly, and I don't even know the rest of the lyrics. I'm not recommending the song, um, but a lot of people feel like if I just had, and forget about a billion, if I just had $500,000, I would so be at peace. All the problems in my life would be over, and I would just love people. 
I would be so generous. I'm not now, but I would be so, so generous if I had, let's say, a million dollars. I mean, all of my problems would be solved. A lot of people think that. I have thought that at times of my life. When, and this is a really silly example. When I, when I had like problems with pimples, like in puberty, thank you for laughing, Nessa. When I would have a really bad one, like to think like eighth grade Nathan, I'm going to school, I'm trying to look cute for the girls and I'm trying to figure out who I am. And I would pray, Lord, if you get rid of this pimple, I know that everything else in my life will be fine. I will be so happy today. I will serve you the rest of my, you guys know what I'm talking about? That's a silly example. But we do that with money and we do it with many things in our life. I use a silly example to illustrate it. In fact, many of us are kind of approaching God like that with certain things. And let me, let me give you what God often does instead of giving us the million dollars. Maybe he will give you the million dollars and you'll be called to steward it well, uh, but more than likely, he's gonna say, my child, my, my beloved son and daughter, um, I would much rather give you peace with $1,000. I would much rather give you joy in earning $10 and, and, and satisfaction in stewarding it well. Big difference. I've pastored people that come into a lot of money tons of times now over my ministry. And I'm telling you, 99% of the time, they are more anxious about money after they get a lot of it. It's counterintuitive, but there is just something true about it. That does not solve your problems. And, and likely, whatever circumstance you're thinking about that you would love to change, or maybe some kind of elusive there out there, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying God doesn't care about it. And maybe, in fact, I hope God gives it to you if it's what he has for you and if it's going to be good for you. But that by itself will not change you. I counsel young people about this all the time regarding marriage because people think, when I get married, I just know man, my life's gonna be just full of romance for all of my days. I mean, it's just gonna be incredible. And married couples, is that your experience? Did your, married, did your spouse make your life perfect? Let me put it that way. Anybody? Did, did your, <laughs> I heard a big laugh right up here on the front, the Gonzalez family. I mean, that was a deep laugh. Don't look at your spouse right now. I mean, this is just, it's just, tr- it's just to bring light to the fact that the things that we want God to do for us usually don't change us. He wants to change us in spite of our circumstance. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a surpassing peace no matter what you face the rest of your life? Pray continually because he will shift your perspective. Practically, Guzik says it this way, we don't bow our heads all day long. You know, we have to live. We don't close our eyes all day long. We don't fold our hands all day long. Those are just customs of prayer, not prayer itself. Prayer is communication with God and that we can live each minute of the day in constant flowing conversation with God. Brother Lawrence, who wrote my favorite book other than scripture, Practicing the Presence of God, was a chef in a monastery doing the lowliest of jobs, yet discovered the greatest of joys in the presence of God and what he called practicing God's presence. And let me give a little clarification here because sometimes we think rejoicing always and praying continually is about ignoring the pain or, or ignoring the problems of the world. It's not. And let me, let me illustrate it with this. There are, there are a few verses that are the shortest verses in all of scripture. Does anybody know the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. So a lot of people know that. Usually kids that grow up in church know that because it's like a freebie. Like you can say, yeah, I memorized scripture. Jesus wept. See, I know that whole verse. 
Well, the other two shortest verses in scripture are the two we just read. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. That's a verse by itself. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. And I think there's a real beauty in the juxtaposition of these three shortest verses. Mm -hmm.